Blog Talk Radio.
All right, we are here with another edition of the Urban Wire, brought to you by the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers, where we shine the light on issues impacting urban communities. I tell you tonight, we have a wonderful, wonderful treat for you guys. Um, we have a very special guest that is with us tonight, and um, I really want to thank her for taking time out of her busy schedule um, to come on the show and discuss with us some issues that really that that really do impact the urban community and the GL, LGBT community. Um, her name is Tony Newman. She has a book out called "I Rise: The Trans- Transformation of Tony Newman." You can get the book on Amazon.com and all your local retailers and um, bookstores. Um, I really really, really enjoyed reading the book. It was a very wonderful experience. Um, Just seeing the the transformation of an individual. Um, She's going to tell us a little bit more about herself tonight. Um, We're going to go on a journey, and we're going to really talk about some issues that um, may may make some of you uncomfortable, but it needs to be discussed. And um, I'm really excited about tonight. I, I I had the opportunity to really talk to uh, Ms. Newman, and I really felt that she she is just a wonderful person, real sweet person, and I think that she has a lot that could help someone out that is struggling um, with issues dealing with self-identity, and um, we're just going to really delve into a lot of things, especially um, um, things that are um, in her book. Once again, the book is called I Rise by Tony Newman, The Transformation of Tony Newman. Um before we jump to her online, I, I think we have our panel here. Um, I believe we have uh, Michael Snyder. He's online tonight. Good evening. Good evening. Um, C. Johnson, are you there? Yes. Um, Jr., are you are you online? Yes, sir. I'm here. All right, and I don't know if she. If, no, I don't know, Brittany. Brittany, I know you kind of shy sometimes. I'm here. You, you here. All right. Well, I really want to thank all you guys calling. Um, the number to call in is 646-915-8200. We're going to take calls. Um, I have my regular panel here. I, you know, I'm going to keep them online. But um, we're going to open up the line to um, callers um, probably around um, 945. Well, it's 945 here in the Midwest. So, Probably we're gonna uh, we're gonna conduct the interview for about thirty forty five minutes, and then we're gonna open up the lines if we do have any callers. Um, we're gonna go straight to the line to Miss Tony Newman. And um, how are you this evening? I am fine. I thank you for having me, and I I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. So how's how's the weather out there on the West Coast? Well, it's not snowing, that's for sure, <laughs> but it's, it's nice. It's yeah. nice. It's L.A. weather. No New York, no cold, cold weather. I don't need uh, gloves and and scarves, yeah. but it, it's nice. It's L.A. weather. Yeah. That's good. Well, um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, there's so much I want to discuss um, with this book. Um, but before we even get started, I want you just to tell us about who is Tony Newman and um, what makes your story unique and what qualifies you to speak on um, issues pertaining to the uh, LGBT community, particularly the uh, the transgender community? Um, I'm originally from Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is home of Camp Lejeune Marine Corps Base. I was born and raised in Jacksonville by the base. I graduated 
high school uh, and then got a scholarship academically to Wake Forest University, which is the same year that Dr. Maya Angelou became a a Reynolds professor at Wake Forest. She and I uh, were on the campus for the first time the same year, and uh, I got to know her over the four years at Wake Forest. I graduated from Wake Forest and went on to my MBA and then started working in education uh, until I realized, which I already knew, that I was transgender, but this is 25 years ago. There was no role models. There were no books. There were nobody to guide yourself by except the young ladies at that time in New York City, which was on 14th Street. That's where all the transgender, transsexuals, cross-dressers, drag queens hung out um, during that time, and that's where I got my... uh, my first footing into the transgender community out on the streets of uh, 14th Street back in the West Village. And uh, wow. I started my life as a transgender rather hard, uh, disowned by family and friends um, until all my money and all the money I had had run out. I had no choice but to do what most of the young ladies were doing, to hustle. So I hustled uh, and climbed my way uh back up, uh, right off the street into uh, where I am now. Wow. So um, just getting um, started, um, for those who, you know, because we're all about educating individuals, um, can you give us a definition? What is the term to you? What is what is being tra- transgender and what does it mean and what doesn't it mean? Like what are some of the misconceptions about um, what a transge- transgender is? I was born a man um, as Tony D. Newman. Uh, I still maintain that name now with the letter change. But I was born a male from my mother's womb. Uh, uh, So I was a man uh, from birth until uh, 27 years later, I began to transition from male to female uh, and go all the way uh, to a transition. So, uh, transgender means I started out as one um, sex gender and then moved over to another. I, I transitioned from the male gender to the female gender, and then there's the female gender who transitioned into the male gender. Okay. Um, I know, noticed in the book, like I said, I've noticed throughout the book. Um, the metamorphosis, I would call it a metamorphosis, or just the, the transition um, of you becoming who you are today and how you um, gained a lot of self-worth and self-acceptance throughout your journey. Um, and one thing that I really admire in the book, and I want you to elaborate on it, is something that you that you constantly brought up is knowledge is power, education yes, is power, and people that yes, lack education is, is death. Is lack of death, education and knowledge is death. And can you elaborate on that? Because I think a lot of people um, really misconstrue the fact that, you know, a lot of people that are out there are not educated, um, especially in the transgender community and the LGBT community. Um, can you just elaborate that point that you brought so eloquently in your book about how education is necessary to um, – advance economically and socially? Well, what I really tried to relay was that um, 
I, I did prostitute, uh, I did hustle, I did escort, but so many of my sisters, minority sisters, not so many of my white sisters, they tend to have the support of family and friends, much more so than than I did in my, my sisters of color. Uh, and most of my sisters of color uh, quit high school, quit their college program, their uh, uh, technical program due to uh, they didn't treat me fair. Uh, I felt isolated. I felt discriminated against. My key thing is knowledge is power. If you get a skill, if you get a degree, if you get uh, uh, um, some type of technical vocational ability, nobody can take that from you. And you can work with that skill or that technical ability or that degree. There's somebody who will eventually hire you, but you have to be qualified uh, in order to do the job. And, and what I'm trying to relay is trying to pull my sisters, not so much my minority brothers, because they tend to, you know, stay on that track, but my minority sisters, Latins, Blacks, Asians, they tend to get off that track and focus a lot on body and transitioning and forget on educating the mind, uh, uplifting the spirit, uh, trying to get a career together besides the sex business. And and I came out of that so I can speak to that. I did it for many years and left a lot of them there, and they're still doing it. My my thing is trying to uplift them out of that dependency of escorting where they can have steady income and become more social, you know, socially viable, where you can see them in your banks, in your Starbucks, wow. you know, in your community besides in the club, in the in on the streets, so forth and so on. And that's where you find a lot of my minority sisters in the clubs, on the streets, hustling, escorting, prostituting, even now. And I'm trying to let them know you can break that cycle. I did. You know, I had a degree before I started that cycle. Uh, and I finished my degree in second year law now, but you can you can break that cycle if you educate your mind and, and not just your body. The transition part is great. The hormones, you know, looking beautiful, being a woman, being a man, but there's much more to the journey than that, and that's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, and I and I saw um, in the book where you use that um, that knowledge um, or desire to gain knowledge. To now, where um, you, I, I saw in the book where you wanted to, uh, you, you see a lot of injustices, and you want to get gain knowledge to help out uh, fellow transgenders or people that are in the uh, gay community. Um, so, what are you currently doing now? Because um, I know you you were trying to obtain a law degree. So, what are you doing? I'm with that? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm second year law. Uh, uh, currently, just finished up my MBA. Uh, and uh, I'm a development uh, officer for uh, a nonprofit in Los Angeles. Uh, I do grants, uh, development, marketing, social media, websites for this nonprofit corporation. And before that, I was a fundraiser and a legislative uh, aide for uh, one of the largest LGBT groups in California. Um my whole thing now is I, I want to speak to the injustice legally of minority transgenders who once they get into the legal system, they really get screwed over for minor, mm -hmm. insignificant stuff. I mean, they they find themselves in jail for months for stuff that you really shouldn't be in jail for. 
You know, just right. because you're transgender, they just throw you in jail. And some of these people stay in jail for stuff that's really not a jailable offense. You know, the public defendants say, oh, you know, you'll be out in 60 days. It's no big deal. You know, it is a big deal when you come back and you've been evicted and all your stuff is on the street. Right. And you have, you have nowhere to live <laughs> when you were hustling right. day to day just to keep it going. So it is a big deal when you come out of jail of two months and 30 days, your landlord has evicted you because no one was there to receive the eviction notice. So it is a big deal. And that's what I'm, I, I want to do specifically for transgenders. Uh, I like what the Transgender Law Center is doing, Mason David and those, and the Transgender Legal Defense Fund in New York. I, I, I like what they're doing. You know, they're standing up for transgenders legally because laws are the only thing people recognize for equality. If you don't have any laws, people can do just about anything they want to you right. and, and get right. away with it. Yeah, because yeah, I, I noticed in the book, um, especially when you were, were starting out on your journey, uh, how you, you said this, it's, and I noticed in one part of the book you were saying, like, you know, compared to what you guys go through, being gay or lesbian is a cakewalk. Because at that time, I guess you were saying that there really weren't many uh, advocates or groups out there that that knew much or could really they had the resources to help out the transgender community. Um, do you feel that um, now, um, currently, do you think that that has begun to change, or do you think we still have work to do? Um, because when, when, when is, I said it, that, yeah, it, it has changed. When I said that, I was eight years in the gay community as a gay so-called male, feminine male, dressing up at night, but was a gay male, working as an assistant dean in a university, uh, working on my master's at that point. Life was so-called good, but I was killing myself inside because I was so unhappy because I wasn't being who I really was. So, and I found that at that time, which is 20 years ago, when I did tell my gay associates, my gay friends, my lesbian friends, I'm going to transform, I'm transgender, they were like, are you mental? You have a great condo, you have a great car, you have a great job. Why would you do this to yourself? And they, even in the LGB community, didn't even get it. But now, 20 years later, I see that we've made good strides. We've got laws, federal laws, state laws to protect transgender employment, transgender discrimination. And you have people like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and, and others and Isis King, fashion designer. So things have definitely changed. I mean, you have a lot of blacks and Latins who are choreographers, dancers, and, you know, moving up. So right. I can definitely see that, you know, laws have changed, things have changed. There's still a lot of, of room to grow, but I see a lot of change. Uh, from where I wrote the book, when I started writing it back in 2000 and finally published it 10 years later, things have changed drastically, I would say, over the last five years. You know, we it's transgenders. I mean, you have Bruce Jenner transitioning. You know, you, it's all over the news now. You see him on TV, all the place. You see him on interviews. He's doing a documentary. So, I mean, this is something you didn't see 20 years ago. So, yeah, things are changing. Yes, they are. Wow. Um, I kind of want to touch on an issue that um, that is kind of a dark cloud, not only for the transgender community, but also the, lay, the gay and lesbian community, and it's the issue of drug usage. 
And um, a lot of people don't under a lot of people that aren't a part of the community don't understand why is it such a demon um, that we we face in in the community. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on that and how you kept yourself clean and out of that uh, that that stronghold when you were um, going through your journey? Ninety-five percent of the young ladies I knew on 14th Street years ago were drug addicts, alcoholics. There's only one that was with me on 14th Street over 15 years ago that I still talk to on a regular basis. The rest are dead. The reason being... Wow. You, you you come to be a transgender. That is one of the most isolated transformations you can possibly do. I mean, your black family, your Latin family, don't get it. They could barely get possibly that you were gay or lesbian. But now you're saying, I'm really not gay or lesbian. I'm transgender. Well, what does that mean? God made you a man, so what's the deal here? Well, I, I feel inside I'm a woman. Well, okay, for so that, but you're still a man with a penis. And now you're growing breasts, and now you're growing hair, and you got weave, and you got hips, and you have tits. And then my sisters are transitioning into men, and they are looking like men. What is this about? This is what I feel on the inside that I'm trying to portray to you on the outside. You must be crazy. You must be mental. So a lot of them, and then you have these guys who want you strictly for sexual gratification. They love you in the sexual realm, and then after that's over, I'm going to call you, we're going to go out. There is no true love. There is no love. There is no family love. So you feel uh, emptiness, and I understand why. I, I don't judge why a lot of my sisters and brothers who feel depressed, alone, and lonely, without any spiritual guidance, can turn to drugs and alcohol to make that hole feel a little better. I definitely get it. I saw it every night living in the in the apartment with the other young ladies that were transgenders doing dope. And I was like, mm, I don't want to go there. I said, you can't work the next night. You don't, you know, I said, we're going to lose this place. And we did. You know, they did lose a place after three months. They get evicted and have to go look for another place. It's a cycle, and I understand why. But it's just by the grace of God and my upbringing in the Christian church, which I had forsaken of homosexuals wrong, changing your genders wrong, I still kept the spiritual value that I am a child of God. Right. And when it comes down to it, I didn't make this seven-year-old little boy feel this way. I wasn't molested as a child. I My uncle didn't do things to me. I knew I was a little girl, and that, like a little girl at 9, 10, 11, 12. I was called sissy boy at 15, 16. I mean, obviously, overly effeminate. Where did someone get this? I mean, I didn't breed it in myself. I didn't make it up. It was there all along and got bigger as each year went on, that desire kept moving on, even as a child from seven, eight, nine. So I knew there was something I was okay, but I couldn't find anybody to validate my, my persona to say I was okay. So I had to validate myself. So I never forsook forsaken the, the, the 
the spiritual realm. I kept praying, but I had to find a common ground and say, I'm not a bad person. I'm created by God. He created me this way. I don't know why I was created this way. There were so many times I wished I could have been another way. I didn't want to be this way. I avoided it for over 10 years, living a, a lie. So it's not something I welcome and look forward to. You know, it's not something I don't know anybody just wakes up and says, oh, my God, I'm transgender. I'm excited. Oh, I just start, start taking hormones today. It is, a, it is a big decision. And you have to walk out in public and be judged because you're physically changing your body so people can see you doing something. And, and people begin to judge you positively, negatively, laughing, giggling, all that in the beginning. It, it, it's a lot. So I understand why there's a big drug and alcohol problem in the transgender community. It's such a, a lonely, lonely place without any support, any guidance, any spiritual help. It can be a very, very, very lonely journey, and it makes you turn to things that gives you that temporary relief to say, hey, I feel good now. I feel like I'm beautiful. You know, so I understand that. It, but it's a big problem in the transgender community, especially among the minorities, because they feel so left out, so alone, so forgotten. And I understand why, but that's not an excuse to do it, but I understand why they do it. Right. I've lived with so them for, for years, and um, I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of leads into another question that I had, like dealing with faith and, and religion and how that is a conflict, in, you know, that are transgender and that are gay or bisexual. Um, how did you get through that? Like, how did you get through that ridicule? Because a lot of people feel that they feel like they are con- condemned and, you know, there is no hope because especially if you were raised in a religious home, and you were taught, well, this this is against the will of God. How did you get past that? And like, what what would be advice to people that are struggling with that, uh, with that issue? I, I I let go Christianity. I let go of Christianity. All of this this is wrong. That's wrong. You are a bad person. I started praying from Tony to God myself. I began a communication between Tony and God to say, if I am wrong, I need you to show me. I'm homeless now. I'm at the bottom. I'm a graduate of Wake Forest. I almost got my my master's degree. I'm out here transitioning. I have no more money. I'm here now. I'm at the bottom. There's nowhere to go for me but death or drug addiction, which is where everybody else was. They were dying or on drugs, hardcore drug addicts, prostituting, and didn't get money to buy drugs. And I saw him lift me up slowly but surely, slowly but surely. Yes, I was prostituting. I had no other way to make any money. I tried 100 jobs. I went in with my wig to these places and said, I have a degree. Here's my ID. You can validate me. We're not interested. Get out. So while I was looking for a job, I had to prostitute or or not have any money and remain homeless for the rest of my life. I prayed, and I asked God to help me, and he did. He did. I, I didn't get any diseases. I came out with no addictions. 
and I came out with my mind intact. Right. I, I started right where I left off 10 years ago when I had the educational management position. I came right back, and my mind was good, my spirit was strong, my self-confidence was there, and no matter what nobody told me, I just did my job. And I went right. from there, and things got better. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. Mm-hmm. It has to start with you. If you don't believe in yourself, no matter how physically beautiful you may or may not be, you have to have a confidence and belief that you can do better things, you can be a better person. And if you don't believe that, you will fall into a loneliness and depression, which will lead you to drugs. Depression, long enough that you're depressed, you stay there long enough, it will lead you to addiction. Wow. I've seen it happen at least 100 times. 100 Mm. times. You stay depressed long enough, it will lead to bad things happening to you. Drugs, alcohol, uh, sex without condom, it just leads you to a bad way. Mm. Mm-mm. And that's what I'm going to say, like, when you were in, uh, when you were out there in that lifestyle, did you know of people that didn't take pride in themselves and they engaged? Like, I know you mentioned in the book how there were many people that engaged in unprotected sex, and they, they, they weren't on top of their game, and, and, and they didn't have that self-love and respect. Can you elaborate on that and tell us? Well, like, even as a prostitute, even as a prostitute, it was a job. Right. Anything that you tr- you trying to make money at is a job. You're getting paid for, whether it's legal or illegal. Now, a guy comes up and say, "Okay, you charge a hundred, but I'm gonna offer you an extra hundred. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna screw you all. So I'm gonna give you two hundred dollars. That lets you know right there that he doesn't think very highly of himself." Or he obviously has something, and he just don't care about spreading it all over town. Mm. There's one or two issues going on here. He doesn't care about what he may or may not have, or he's got something. He just want to give it to everybody he can. Mm. And most of the young ladies, for the sake of money, it's a job, would say, yes, uh, you can, you know, okay, it's fine. I'll do such and such without a condom. That's a lack of respect for yourself. Yeah. That's a lack of respect for yourself. You can't expect him to respect you because he doesn't respect himself. Mm. You have to look back and tell him, uh, it's $100 for this service, and that's with a condom. I don't do unprotected sex, period. Wow. And more than likely he'll walk away because there will be somebody who would do that extra $100 and take the condom off and say, go to work. And they would leave you and go right across the street and get another one and look back and say, well, I got somebody. She looked better than you. I said, but how? this is unsafe. You yeah. people can't live long doing these types of things. We are prostitutes, yeah, but we have to take care of ourselves. I mean, you know, I, I know people look down on prostitutes and they look down on us on 14th Street and you're this and that, but you still have to take care of yourselves. Unless you're just perfectly trying to kill yourself. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember I read that passage in the um, in your book, and you were saying how you had a client that uh, contacted you. And I guess you said that this was the same client that you knew that had slept with someone that you 
knew that was in that was in jail currently, which eventually he found out that they died from uh, from complications of AIDS, and that was very mm-hmm. powerful to me because you kind of found out you know the backstory behind that, and they just kind of drive drove home the point that people out here don't really care about you, especially mm-hmm. uh, you know especially if they they're looking at you as a commodity or they're looking at you as hey. I, I want to get. I just, I just yeah. want to fuck you. I want you. I want to do A B M with you. That's basically what I want from you. I don't need you to go to dinner with me. Go to the movies. You just you you just a, a fuck buddy. A fuck buddy. I pay, and I want you to do what I say because I paid you. Say well, you're paying me, but there's certain things I don't do, mm-hmm. and these are the these are the things. So if you're looking for that, then you've come to the wrong place. And I know that you're not safe because my friend who's in jail is sick now. And you were with her many, many times. So the probability that you didn't give it to her, you probably got it too. Wow. you were living with her in her home. So I can't do nothing for you. But that's that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how many hundred dollars and a thug you are with your BMW, I just can't help you because I value my life because this $300 ain't going to keep me alive if I get the disease and can't mm. afford it. That's why there was no Obamacare and get no medicine. $300 ain't going to help me out. I'm already be spent that money, and I'm going to be sick. So what is that going <laughs> to do for me, this temporary extra 200 bucks? Just give me my money, and we'll do what we do in a safe round, and you go away. <laughs> And that's how I kept it most of the time. I didn't look for love from clients. I didn't want love. I thought I would never find love with a, with someone who could treat me the way I thought I deserved to be treated because I'd chosen to be transgender, so I thought I'd chosen a life without a partner. I do mm. my sex thing, I get paid, and I go on about my business. We do what we do, but that's not true. I did find someone for 13 years now, who do treat me the way I want to be treated and don't see me as the T of the LGBT, who don't treat me as a sexual object or sexual commodity, who value my mind and my heart over my body. But, you know, at that point, I didn't, I didn't think that was possible. I'd already closed myself to that possibility that I could ever find love because I'd already chosen a journey that was basically sexual gratification for most straight men, because most straight men are the ones who like transgender women. Right. We don't, most gay men don't like transgender women with the illusion of a woman uh, with with tits and all of that. It's mainly straight guys who have that tendency, and they want that illusion who like the transgender women. So they'll say what they think you want them, you want to hear to get you, but you can never keep them because they go back to a regular woman. Yeah. And they sneak saying, out at 12 o'clock, but they'll, they'll yeah. go back to their wife or their girlfriend or their baby mama, but they will come yeah. at 12 o'clock at night and spend the night. But, you you know, they're not yours. It's no love. It's all sexual gratification, uh, a kind, of, kind, of, kind of like a sex kink. You know, it's their mm-hmm. kinkiness. And let me tell you this, and, I, and I'm also going to take a pause for the cause and just tell this. This is going to lead to my next um, topic I want to discuss with you because this is something that's really 
uh, and I'm going to tell you, I want people to hear me that this is real. This is what we're talking about is real life. And um, and there's something I want to discuss, and we've discussed this on the show before, is about men living on the down low. And to me, the down low has a face, a negative persona that is always black men. But real, realistically, this is an issue that cover, covers all walks of life, all ethnic All races. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I want you to touch on that because that's a lot of women, they want to stay, sit up here and say, oh, my man doesn't get down like that. My man doesn't. Uh, my man don't get down with that punk stuff. My man is 100%, you know, excuse my terminology, I got 100% niggas. I got a, I, my man would never do some stuff like that. That huh, that's, that's, that's just on TV. That's, you know, they think that they, they, they the biggest and they the baddest and they, and they, and you know, and they don't have to worry about that. But you know what? Your man could be laying up with another man right now. Or it could be out here with no trans. We used to get together. Touch on that. Yeah, we used to get together about twenty of us sometimes after working four or five in the morning, go to a diner, and they would sit there and say, "Guess who I saw tonight?" Y'all know that guy on TV who's the newscaster. I saw Mm. him, and then you say who you saw. You would just be so surprised at the different races of men: judges, lawyers, doctors, NBA, NFL, football athletes, disc jockeys hip-hop, singers, rappers that would engage. And and then you would see these people on TV making uh, jokes about uh, anti-LGBT stuff. And you would sit there and almost laugh to yourself like, this, 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 this guy is unreal. On Saturday night, he's roaming around 14th Street in his fancy car but on Monday, he's making gay jokes or anti-LGBT jokes uh, about something that he's actively engaging in. It's almost like a Jekyll and a Hyde personality. It's almost like wow. you, you don't even realize who the same guy is. I said, I just saw you Saturday night. Are you joking me? And then you see him standing next to his wife and his children, and you say to yourself, my goodness, how crazy is this? And, I mean, I didn't, as the years went on, it didn't faze me who would and would not. But in the beginning, I was like, my God, the type of men that come out here are rappers, athletes, bankers, judges, all walks of life, all races. It it, it was amazing. And and I hear about, you know, women who say, oh, you know, I, I tell every woman I know, and I hang out with several women I love dearly, any man they date, I tell them to ask the man up front, are you or have you been bisexual? Wow. I'm going to give you that chance to tell me now so there won't be no confusion six months from now mm-hmm. if something comes problem, down. Yeah. You said, mm-hmm. you said oh, oh, by, oh, by the way, I say ask him out front to have you, are you or have you ever been bisexual? And see what they say. Let me, let me ask you this. Why do you think that women are afraid to have these conversations with, with these men. It's the problem yeah. now. I have I have I have I have good female friends who say, you know, if I ask that question and he say yes, I might like him a lot, but then I'm conflicted to do I really want to be with a man who's bisexual, who said he may not do yeah. it again? Or done it once in college? Or did it once on a team? 
or once here or there? Does he have that tendency to do it again? I say, I don't know. But now you have the information to make your decision. You know he has or will be bisexual again. Now, a lot of them will lie, and that you cannot get around. But at least you ask the question so it can never come back to say, you know, I asked you, were you bisexual? Have you ever been bisexual in the beginning of this relationship? And that I do not want to be with a bisexual man. That was my right, and that was your chance to tell me that you had, instead of burdening me with something that I don't even want to be a part of. Yeah. I don't know why more women don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, they think, oh, he's so masculine, he's so good-looking, he's so this. They come in all forms. Some of yeah, them are naughty feminine. Some of them are man-man, man-man-man. Some of them play football and knock, knock people down. Kickboxing can fuck and really beat you up. So, I mean, it comes in all forms. They're not all effeminate and show signs of, of, of bisexuality. It's a question I think every woman should ask her future boyfriend and or future husband. Are you bisexual or have you ever been bisexual in your life? Eye to eye. And see what they say. Wow. That's, that's, I, I recommend that to probably. all my girlfriends, and they do it. And when they and one one recently just found out the guy said, "Oh, I did it in college. I never do it again." So, oh, you did it yeah. in college. Well, I was in law school. We fucked around. This guy was very feminine. He he was you know we were friends. We were law school partners. Blah 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 blah. And now she had to make a decision. And her decision was, if he did it once while they were drinking, what would stop him from drinking again and doing it again? Wow. Because there's obviously something there. He liked it. He allowed it. So what does that mean? So, you know, I, I tell everybody to ask that question. You know, everywhere I speak, I tell every woman, please ask your future boyfriend and or husband before you birth his children, before you, you know, clean his home, you get a life and find out that you're with a man for eight years and he's been having sex mm. with, with other people. That, that That is very devastating. You feel deceived. You feel hurt. It's a very, and I understand that. I think you should know beforehand, instead of having three kids to find out your man is, in fact, on the down low. Wow. Yeah, okay, we, we're going to have probably about three, about three more questions, and I'm going to open it up to my panel, because um, this has been a really good conversation. Um, I... Um, it was about three, probably about three, four years ago. I had a, I had the opportunity, I had the, the privilege to interview um, Terrence Dean. He has a book out too called Hiding in Hip Hop, and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that book. That really, that opened up my eyes, and 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 it kind of like, man, it was kind of brings home the point. Like, and now that I see that you have a book out that kind of mirrors those same um, um, issues about the homophobia in 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 Hip hop and also just in the entertainment um, industry, where there is a lot of secrecy. Um, can you kind of touch on that? Like, um, what do you think about the issue of homophobia in hip hop? And also, I'm kind of going to get on the, um, out, you know, the uh, about some of the people in the book that you named. 
and I, I kind of I didn't want to make the whole interview about that, but I, I kind of do want to touch on that. But what do you feel about is there homophobia in in hip hop, and is it kind of ironic that that exists even though there there have been numerous claims out here of, of a lot of people that are living that life on the DL or living that life in the closet. You, you know, 20 years later, rappers, DJs, uh, models, hip-hop were doing it then. I'm no longer in that scene now, but the young ladies are telling me who are in that scene, my young, beautiful sisters who are, are, are hanging out in that scene, they're seeing the young hip-hop rap uh, um, you know, rhythm, rhythm and blues singer type guy. Still, I, I, wow. I don't know what, why it's, it, it's prevalent. It was prevalent then, uh, twenty years ago, and it's still prevalent now. Media takeout, Diary of a Hollywood Street King, is always every week throwing out another name. Some of them possibly true. Some of them maybe not. But it's still a, a very secret, down-low community of rappers and hip-hop and, and R&B singers. I, I, I don't know why, but it is, especially with my sisters and the rappers and hip-hop guys. They tend wow. to be attracted to the transgender community. Um, they identify a lot with them sexually and seek them out. Um, in terms of hanging out, having sex, being on the download. Uh, why that is, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't explain it, but it happened 20 years ago when I did, uh, as you all know, I, I, didn't, I didn't mention the name per se in the book, but I did talk about rapper LL Cool J, a comedian Eddie Murphy, and disc jockey uh, uh, DJ Mr. C, who has had an article come out in GQ and say he's basically transgender obsessed. So, oh, wow. um, you know, he's he's already admitted and been arrested six times for soliciting transgender prostitutes. When the time I wrote the book, I didn't know they'd already been arrested twice uh, for soliciting transgender prostitutes. And now it's, I think it's at that point it's like six times he's been arrested for soliciting transgender prostitutes. Um, he never wanted anything else. Uh, I saw him hundreds of times years ago in the 97 van and in his car, you know, he just sought oral gratification. Would pay you well, treat you nice. He never, you know, as nice as a, a client can treat a prostitute, you got paid for a service, and that was that. I mean, he was one, I called him one of my best clients. I saw him weekly until eventually he moved on from me to somebody else. He was fixated on me for a while, then he moved on to someone else and someone else. And he was out there for years, years. And I see now he's been doing it for over 25 years. So there you go. It's very common. I don't know why uh, the rappers and hip-hop community are, are so in with the transgender community. You know, a lot of down-low, supposedly, you know, I, I can't tell anybody, but we're going out, you know, as long as you, you know, the girls take it because they give them money. So they they like well he is paying me, so so and so is my is like my boyfriend. But you know they that's not their boyfriend. That's their client, and, and that's wow. sometimes with the trouble when they feel like oh you're not my boyfriend. I'm gonna tell somebody you're fucking around with me. 
And then mm. that's when the secret comes out because they thought, oh, I thought I was your girlfriend. I saw you with somebody else on the, at the Grammy party walking down the red carpet. And I can take you. <laughs> what? That's, and then that's where all the so-and-so is now exposing uh, so-and-so. And, oh, my God. You know, they never were dating. But, you know, sometimes these guys make you feel like you're special and I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you transition. I'm going to buy you some tits. I'm going to buy you a car. I'm going to give you a place to stay. But it's not love. You're their sexual kink. And oh, when wow. you lose sight of that, you get on a, you know, you get on that other road thinking, you know, I, I'm his, I'm his woman. You're not his woman. You're just mm. a sexual kink. And then that's when well, they find themselves. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that no, it's no different than a lot of these women that fall into that 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 trap of being the other woman or being the jump off? Do you, do you feel that? Can you compare it to that, or do you think? Yeah, that I mean, I know girls that go to Avalon in Hollywood, real girls who are looking for that that man. They're looking for that athlete. They're looking for that pro baller. They know they got a wife. They're like, listen, you take care of me. I do anything you want. You know, you can stop by as long as you take care of me anytime you want, any time of night. It's that same type of concept, you know. It's that same type of, you know, I'm. this is my booty call, you know. And he may come over three or four times a, a week, and you may bring you something to eat and some clothes and some cash and pay your rent. But it is what it is. That's not love. Yeah. That's just a booty yeah. call. and. And it's a pay, you know, you're getting something, he's getting something. He brings something for you, he gets sex, whether it be money, clothes, rent, car, it's the same same concept, you know, barter for goods, you know, which is prostitution. Right. You buy me a car, oh. I give you sex. That's prostitution. Anyway, you look at it, it's prostitution. Right, whether you try to mask it as, oh, he's just a sugar daddy, do you still feel that that is a form of prostitution? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've had a sugar daddy, you know. I had a sugar daddy for years, an older white guy, and he was divorced, and he'd come by, and we go out to eat, we go to the movies, you know, but I knew what it was. He never left one time without giving me cash and getting some sex. Mm. There was always a barter for services. I would wow. say, you know, I need a new jacket, and he'd get me a jacket, and I said, I need some cash, and so on, blah, blah, blah. And he'd put some money out, and then he'd get what he wants. I got what I want. A barter for services, whether it be cash or product, is prostitution. <clears throat> I did it with a sugar daddy. I did it with a one-hour client. I did it overnight. That is prostitution. Mm. It's a barter mm. for services and for form of sex. He take you out, go to Macy's, let you use his credit card. It's prostitution. <laughs> he never I, left I, I, without I, having sex. Right. He never left. With, if it was, if it wasn't prostitution, why didn't he just give me the money and go home? He had a little sex thing going. He liked certain oh, things done. He would make sure you were happy. Say you good. I would say I'm good. I need, this is what daddy needs. And say, okay, this is what daddy going to get. All right. You did your part. Now it's time for me to do mine. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's, that's, that's prostitution. It's prostitution. Yeah. Yeah. You can mask it, so, I mean, you know, you can mask it. Oh, he's a sugar daddy and putting me through law school. And I know a girl who's getting put through law school. But he never leaves that house after he pays that tuition for without getting what he wants. And he's calling. He says, I paid that year over at that law school. I'm coming by tonight. Mm. And he come by. And so she would say, no, he's just a sugar daddy. Well, sugar daddy is you're giving up sex for tuition in law school. It's prostitution, a barter for services. And that's what prostitution is. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, um, another question um, about, have you have you received any backlash on, uh, well, pertaining to, you know, some of the allegations, but, like, um, when you – when you put those names out there of Eddie Murphy and um, LL Cool J and uh, Mr. C, have you received any backlash? Eddie Murphy from- and, and, and Mr. C said no comment on every 97, 102.3 ready, everywhere, no comment. LL Cool J hired Martin Singer, who's also defending Bill Cosby now. He defended John Travolta against the pilot who was his lover for nine years and he had pictures of him and against another boy who said he, I was his lover and John Travolta was saying, Oh no, you're a liar. That's not true. Um, Martin Singer is like that go-to lawyer. If you're being accused and you want to maybe push that person back. And Martin Singer sent me a letter, my publisher's a letter, my editor, a letter, my, we're going to sue you, blah, blah, blah. And then I return with the law firm and says, we w- w- let's do it. Let's go to court and let's just everybody start talking. I'll bring other witnesses who can validate what I say. I've got 20 people emailing me now in the last year since that they've seen him. They've got pictures of him, of him doing things that he's not supposed to be doing as a married man and as a straight guy. So let's just go to court on this matter. You're not going to scare me. The letters stopped coming. LL Cool J went away. I've never heard from Martin Singer or LL Cool J ever again. When we agreed to say, let's go to court, you want to sue me? You're going to have to go to court to do that. Your letters is not a form of court. So I, let's go to court. So the lawyer wrote him back and said, we'll go to court on this. They they went away. Wow. I mean, he's he doesn't want all this aired out before his children and his wife. When did you meet him? You have any other witnesses, blah, blah, blah. All these people over these years who've talked about him. Uh, I, I mean, we, the, my lawyer had looked into it and made some calls and people. And, he did not want this. You know, he didn't want this. I mean, you know, he, he didn't want this. And so it went away. And I've never heard from Eddie Murphy, who never made any comment. Uh, Mr. C had never made any comment until um, he did admit uh, before the GQ magazine that all he ever wanted was what I said he wanted. Uh, and then he went on GQ and said, I've been obsessed with transgenders, and I met him on 14th Street for years, and I, I need help and all this other stuff. So that was his his way of, I guess, uh, trying to make it can feel better, but he's been doing this for over 25 years. Wow. And, and let me just throw this in here just for a legal, you know, just for legal purposes. These are 
I'm not saying just to protect myself and my brand and my show. These are alleged incidents. You know, I you know I'm just saying we you know, and I'm not saying I don't believe you or nothing, but I'm just doing that just to protect myself. But I mean, this this should be a wake up talk call to a lot of people like that that this is something that people from all walks of life. I mean, this this is this doesn't this this touches every walk of life. So my question is, um, um, why did like in your book or just in general, there were certain people that you alluded to or like um, you never really mentioned any names. So what made you uh, keep their name confidential, but you know, uh, you put out. Eddie Murphy, LL Cool J, and Mr. C. Like, what was your um, reasoning behind that? The rationale? I met them on 14th Street. Mm -hmm. I was a prostitute, um, sometime in between places. Uh, I I did have a place at the time. Uh, When I saw Eddie Murphy, me and my girlfriend was in between places. We were street prostitutes. Um, And and as a street prostitute, uh, I was not always treated very well. So I only talked about the guys I met as a street prostitute when I was out there in 10 below weather in the winter wearing a, a fake fur with hardly anything mm. on and some silhouettes, um, many nights sick with the cold and a head cold and the flu out there prostituting. Uh, those guys uh, never truly respected us as people those guys on 14th Street, they would come out and let you get warm in their car for 20 minutes while you all did A, B, and C, and then put you right out um, mm. to go right back out and do your dilemma. So I only spoke about the the ones that I saw on the street, the ones that I saw as an escort who treated me very, very well. I did not speak of. I may have alluded to, but I never spoke of them. For the simple reason, they treated me very, very well. Wow. I knew they were my client, but they were kind to me uh, in a sense that they bought me dinner, took me to a movie. We went to Vegas together. Um, we took a trip together. Uh, they bought me a car. They fixed my car. Uh, I called and I was, my car broke down. They would come and say, what do you need? Uh, well, okay, let me change the tire. Uh, let's get you triple A. So on that note, I talked about the ones on 14th Street who, at my lowest, treated me badly, not right. the ones who treated me well. That's who, how I decided who to talk about and who not to talk about. And that was my rationale. So as okay. a street prostitute, I only spoke of those while I was a street prostitute, homeless, very hungry sometimes, cold, sick, and they just didn't care. Mm. You know, you would say after the date, could you give me a ride to Harlem? I wish I could, but you had to get out now, baby. I got to go. Mm. And you say, okay, all right, well, thank you. So those I did talk about for that very reason. Mm. They show no compassion, no compassion. And these other guys, they they were kind. I knew what it was, but they were kind to me, and I was kind to them. They were nice to me, and I was nice back to them. And I, I didn't do that to them. 
for that very reason. Wow. All right. Um, we have a couple more questions, and I'm going to open up the line. It's 10 o'clock now. Um, how has your life changed? I'm going to try to put a couple of questions in here. How has your life changed since um, this book has been published? And what message would you offer to anyone that is struggling with who they are or um, with their identity? And then also well, in 2015. Uh, oh, yeah, but in 2015 with Laverne Cox and Janet Mock and Transparency and all this, there's no reason for you to hide anymore. I mean, you've got your Bruce Jenner's getting a million-plus dollars coming out to tell his story, and and he was an all-time world-best athlete. There's no reason now, I mean, with all this visibility, for you to feel shame or fear. There's just no reason. No reason for anyone who feels transgender to feel any guilt or shame. I mean, you, you see what can happen. You have some, some people doing great stuff. So, you know, if you are, in fact, transgender and you know who you are, if you are, there's no reason for you to be shame or fear. I kept it for 12, 13 years. I was afraid and shamed and fear. There's no need for that now. The visibility is good and growing. The laws are okay and getting stronger. There's no need for that. Step out, especially in 2015. There's just no need to hide. None. Right. Not now. That's powerful. So um, can you tell us what are you currently working on? I know you have a couple of uh, movies in the uh, – a couple of projects in the making, and is there also any um, future books that are coming out? And also, um, um, in addition, can you let us know how can, people can get a copy of this book or where they can purchase it? Uh, well, the book, Chapter 7, The Erotic Professional, was turned into a movie called Heart of a Woman. It was cast by D. Vise, uh, the young lady playing me is Angelica Ross, a transgender actor, singer, songwriter, Daniel Sobere from One Life to Live, uh, Rachel Sterling from The Red Wedding Crashers, Leslie Jones from SNL and Russell Simmons, uh, Deaf Poet, and Elizabeth Rahm, who was on Law and Order, are the five main cast members. We are still seeking funding and having a... Uh, the Millennial Scope uh, Entertainment Foundation is having a LGBT post-Oscar gala uh, February 22nd of this month at Los Globus. And the guy from Transparency and the guy from The Chronicles and HBO and some other stars are going to be there. And I'm being featured there with uh, trying to get this movie made. It's a $3 million budget movie. And uh, we have a script. Keith Holland, the British director, is directing it. And we're just looking to, uh, to uh, it's like a Dallas Bar Club type movie with a black twist, a black transgender lead, a real transgender who's black uh, and uh, quite lovely with original songs and a couple of rappers oh. who've uh, donated some music. Uh, so it's going to be a good story. going to talk about this down low and, uh, you know, why she prostituted and how she evolved from that and, you know, it's it's a Dallas Buyers Club on with a black twist. Uh, and you know, it's like really it. good. That, yeah, and it's really good that we have people like you that are putting out this message. And I'm kind, of, and it kind of encourages me in 2015 that we are now seeing more um, shows that are delving into the topic of um, just the, the just the gay, just being gay in general, the gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual, transgender community. Um, 
I know yeah. that um, Empire, I, 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 I love that show, and I really like how they have delved into that issue. And even like um, shows like Being Mary Jane, I think they're going to be delving into that um, that issue and like people like Tyler Perry that address that issue in, in their shows. So it's very yeah. encouraging to see that a lot of people are starting to to uh, put a face. Let's talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And I hear that uh, Empire is about to bring a transgender on to uh, really oh, wow. twist it up. So that would be, oh, that I love the show. Uh, um, it would be phenomenal. I think that would be phenomenal to even throw someone like that in there, uh, in that music mm-hmm. stuff. So they're there. They may not be yeah. in front of the scenes. But they are behind the scenes somewhere with somebody doing something with all well, these we people the in, the, in, 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 in the record label. So, you know, they're there, you know, so it would uh, be nice. They, and, uh, they always talk about um, the girl, the, we, who run the world girls. I said, no, nah, who run the world gays and bisexuals yeah. and lesbians and transgender. We're the ones that's, that, that are running things. And I think that a lot of people it's need very to very behind, very behind the scenes. Yeah. Most people don't realize it's very behind the scenes, but there's a lot going on. You yeah. know, a lot of these people, you know, after the party and after the hoopla, they go to somebody's house for some private one-on-one. After <laughs> they got their award and partied at all the Oscar and the Grammy parties, they're doing, they're doing stuff after midnight, that people would be like, this this guy won a Grammy, and then he went over to so-and-so's house and did A, mm. B, and C, you know, but that's just their true nature, yep. you know, and, 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 and sometimes when they're drinking and doing their dope, that true nature evolves much quicker because it just pushes that true nature right to the forefront. When they are, oh. you know, hanging out with their friends and getting you know, having a good time, that nature comes back with the alcohol and the dope. They go looking. They go looking. All because right. that's their true nature. And, you know, behind the scenes, behind the scenes. All right, Miss uh, Miss Tony, we're going to open up the lines. I have my uh, panel here, and I know they have some questions for you, and we're going to have a really good time. Um, does, does anyone, Michael, Jr., anybody have have any questions or have anything? Um, Tony, how did you finally discover your own personal value, the learn to love yourself? And I'm sure that's probably a long process. I understand, but what was the the aha moment? The oh yeah, I got it now. That really brought that home to you? I was seeing my longest, longest standing client. And we never talked about who I was. I said, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. And uh, I have a degree from Wake Forest, and I'm maybe four classes shy from an MBA. And he said, one of the first time I ever told anybody as a client. And he said, I, I, I believe that. You're very smart. You've always, where well, you did business, I've known you for 12 years. You've always been business first. And he said, you know what you should do? And you've got all these legal pads. You should, you should start putting this together. And I started putting the book together 11 years before I wrote it with his help. And the editor was a Harvard University 
a PhD, works in the literature and English department at Harvard. Said this is this is this is some interesting stuff. I would love to. He was my first editor, and just collaborating with him during the day after I got off work at night, in between my clients, I'm sending back my my changes. He's telling me you should do this and that. It was it it was great. And that was the first time that I began to get back to that intellectual side. Still escorting, still making money, still working with females and guys, working. But that was when my confidence as an intellect and a writer began to come back from 15, 18 years ago. It began, I began to feel like the old Tony who used to write reports and write stuff. It, that was the beginning of I can do this. It can get done. And nobody had wrote a book in the 21st century as transgenders. I mean, Janet Marcus wrote a wonderful book, but during the time I was writing mine and published mine, there was no black transgenders but Chad Bono who wrote a book about a – his book came out about a month before mine, and he just did an interview and they interviewed me next because my book had just came out. His came out about three weeks before my book. There was no transgender book out at that time as biographies in 21st century, but Chad Bow knows, and then I came. So would you and say that, then that the process of getting into the writing and doing that, and I know as obviously as you would write the book, you're sorting through the different parts of yourself and your identity, is that part of it, too, that helped bring you that confidence? It did, because I would go back and write about, here I am in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and writing about my mother and my, my, my father and my family. And I just began to take the journey and like, whoa, you know, reminisce and look mm-hmm. at the path of the writing and then begin to see where I come from to where I I, I had arrived and where I was going, it, it it did something. The writing became a uh, some type of soother, uh-huh. some some type of stimulator to my intellect and my spirit to say, you can do this. Whether you are a man, woman, transgender, boy, or girl, you are an intelligent being, and you can you can do this. And then to get the validation from someone like the editor. And other people begin to read the chapters, and then he, we would then let some students in an English class read it, chapter two, and they would say, "Oh, can't wait to chapter three. But I didn't like when you said such and such. Well, what didn't you like about that? That engaging with people and sending it out and getting feedback, it was amazing. That, with the support of my partner, who all along said, "You can do it." even when I ran out of money to pay for the editor and he helped me, that whole process of writing started validating my confidence level, ability to get back into mainstream and to leave that life behind me, which I made that transition. And writing is what started the revolution. It started that battle within me to say, you can do it. The writing is what did it. The book was like a soother for me. It was like a confidence booster. Okay. Telling my story, it, it it did something for me. And getting the support, not only of just my partner, but others, 
and listening to other graduate students who were English majors who were like, this is, I would read this book. I would read this book. Now, of course, some people say, nobody cares about it. Aren't you people psychopaths? Aren't you people mental? Don't they diagnose you with schizophrenia? I'm like, no, but I understand why you say that. But, okay, you don't like the book. Okay, fine. <laughs> You're not going to win everybody. But it was good, the debates, right. trying to win people over. It, it, was, it, it, was a, it, w- it was good for my spirit. It was you good for my was soul. Like a, uh, in a sense, almost like a form of, like, self-exploring therapeutic. It was a form of therapy to say, hey, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like sitting on the couch three hours a week with a, a, a therapist. Well, why do you feel that you are not good enough? It was like my therapy to finally oh. lift me out of the that shadow of where I was working in, in a lovely apartment in Los Feliz in a condo, uh, living a good life. It lifted me right out of that to, I'm going to go out and get a job. I'm going to start doing something different. I can't. And it, it started that. It, it, it was it, it, the, the book, which I didn't know at the time, was a great transformation for me to step out into. Let's go mainstream. Let's just go do it. Let's just go work a job, get around other folks, straight or gay, black or white, and just make a life. And that was how it got started. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thank you. All right. All right. Um, did you did you have a question or anything that you want to um to ask or bring up? Yes. Uh Tony, I do want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Um but I did have a question. Um now I know that you said that you were with a few celebrities sexually. So my question is is why do you think they enjoyed what they done then but are so adamant on denying it now? Um, you know, I have went to, I've had sex with an athlete, an NBA athlete Mm -hmm. who I won't name. And I ran into that Mm -hmm. athlete maybe the next week in the mall. Mm -hmm. Him and his friends ridiculed me and my friends. Mm -hmm. Look at those T-sheets. I don't know why someone who does it, if I did mm-hmm. it, I would just keep my mouth closed. Mm-hmm. While they may be making fun of you, I wouldn't say anything. But I find the ones who do it are the loudest denials, the loudest mm-hmm. to try to hurt you. Cause they, they, and I don't know why that is. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I don't know why they can be so passionate on a Sunday night and a Thursday <laughs> afternoon around other people can be so cruel, it's almost mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why that is. That we, we, we have such a good time drinking wine, we we maybe smoked a joint, we hung out, we ordered a pizza, we talked, and then a week, two weeks, a month later you run into them or something and it is like, what is going on? Mhm. We had such a good time. I mean, I know my place. I'm not saying anything mm-hmm. to you, but you are obviously trying to hurt me and in front of your friends. 
I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is. Now, I do know why the married ones do it. They just don't want their wives to know. I, yeah. I know why a married guy will deny it to the end. The same way he'll deny mm-hmm. having an affair with another woman. He just don't want to be caught. You know, mm-hmm. I know why they do it. They do it if they're messing around with another woman, a transgender. They don't want to be caught because they don't want to get a divorce. They don't want to lose their, their children. But I don't know why some of these guys who do it go out of their way to adamantly, cruelly deny it. I would never do such and such. That's some mm-hmm. nasty shit. I mean, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I mean, instead of this thing, I would never do it. That's some mm-hmm. filthy, ungodlike mess. I wouldn't get drunk enough nor high enough to pull no shit like that. Mhm. And you sit there and you say, I don't even, you like, why you got to go to the extreme? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why they do that, I, I don't know. You know, I have girlfriends yeah. who are in that business now, and they say, you know, I see this big girl TV, he's anti-gay this and that. And they say, mm-hmm. I don't even know why this guy, is, he'll be over here in a month when he come back to Philadelphia, he'll be right here by house. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he playing this crazy, I don't know why they do it. I, I don't know if it make them feel better to say it out loud. It can't be true. I, that is a mystery uh, between them and God. I, I don't know. But you, but you know what really gets me? I said they the main ones talking all this mess, and they want to mm-hmm. talk about transgender, and they want to talk about gay men and all this stuff. But you probably take, and, and excuse my language, I'm just going to keep it real. They probably can mm-hmm. take more deep, and they take them, they swallow them down, and they can take them more and take them harder and deeper than your average gay, gay, bi or transgender individual. So, like, I mean, it's, I'm not, it's I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with that statement. That statement has some truth to it. There is an obsession with these type mm-hmm. of guys who own that far end of doing some of the most kinkiest stuff Mm-mm-mm. that others mm. would not do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know about that behavior. I don't know why they would, you know, deny it so. And, I mean, some of them would, would take it to their grave, you know, until mm-hmm. they've been arrested like Mr. C, photographed mm-hmm. by the police. People are now reading the police report. He then says, I'm obsessed with transgenders. I need help. <laughs> and he's been doing it mm-hmm. for over 25 years. So, I mean, this is, you need help now? You needed help over two decades ago. You've been doing this for 25 years, dude, for half your life. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know why they do it. I mean, but if you enjoy doing something, I mean, that, that is the piece of purpose. If you enjoy doing something, why be ashamed of what you do? Yeah. I mean, well, a lot of it is the black community, you know. A lot of these men yeah. don't, want them, don't want their mother to know that I am, in fact, mm-hmm. bisexual mother. Most men don't mm-hmm. want to go home and tell their mother and father, wife and mm-hmm. kids, baby's mama and girlfriend, that I, on mm-hmm. certain occasions, have a little freak in me, and I'm a little bisexual. Mm-hmm. They, they they just can't say it. I, I, you know, they can't own it. And I understand why they can't own it. The black community, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a thug. I'm a hardcore. I'm an athlete. It's just this is not what athletes do. This is not what a thug rapper is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. This is not the, the right look for you. 
and, and, you know, people around him are telling him that, you know, you should keep this shit on the down low. You shouldn't really let nobody know that, you know. And, and, and you know, a lot of these celebrities, you know, Ellen said for years she stayed in the closet. She thought, oh, my God, if I came out, it's I'm, it's it's over for me. But look where she is now. So, you know, mm-hmm. the fear of what will happen sometimes will keep you, and it kept me from doing what I wanted to do, just to fear. So I guess it's maybe fear to say, if I speak it out loud and tell my mother, my sister, my brother, what would they think of me? It might not go the way you want. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go, you know. And most time it won't go the way that you hope it will, most. There are some times it will. In the black community, you know, you step out like that. You married and got babies and a girlfriend. People, yeah, you know, you... Did you know that before you fucked her and gave her the baby? <laughs> you nasty. Mm-hmm. And all these people go. They don't want that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear, you know, you are nasty. You take it or you give it. What, what kind of nigga are you? <laughs> you know, they don't They don't want to hear that, you know. So they they like, oh, no. What, what about that rumor? Uh, I've never, I've never done that. That's filthy. I would never be with anything like that. That's a that's a beast and all this type of mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, why they do that, I so don't I do know. Have... But you know what you do in the dark? Mm-hmm. I told LL and family, what he does in the dark will come to light. I may not live mm-hmm. to see it. I may not live mm-hmm. to see it. It could happen after my death. But what you do in the dark... Mr. C mm-hmm. did it for 25 years, and it came to light. It, it will come mm-hmm. to light. You can only do something mm-hmm. so long before something just bursts itself wide open. So mm-hmm. it will, between him and Eddie Murphy, Eddie's been doing it for 20 years, too. It will. It, eventually, it will. It, you know, you know, he got picked up one in the car in Hollywood. I thought it was a woman, and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and, you know, what you do in the dark will eventually come to the light. So so now this leads to my next question. And I know that you said mm-hmm. that um, that they or that you had met them on 14th Street, and I think that's what you mm-hmm. said. So how was their appro- uh-huh. So how was their approach? You know, were they um, outspoken? Were they kind of... Like, what was their approach when they Not came Eddie to Murphy. You? Eddie Murphy. Never had Eddie Murphy. For one, I'm too short. Eddie likes tall girls. I'm 5'6". Uh-huh. Uh, I'm 5'6". I'm Eddie liked them 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet. Big girls. Mm-hmm. He picked up my roommate. His mm-hmm. thing was, how big is it? Oh. Do, you, do, you, do you get hard? Mm-hmm. She said, yes. She answered one question. Yes, I do. Because sometimes when you're on the hormones and you're transitioning, it begins to kill mm-hmm. your sex drive, and it kills that mm-hmm. bottom part, and it begins to shrink it up, and other things happen because you're transforming, mm-hmm. but you're still hustling. You're trying to make a buck with that thing, but that thing is now turning into something that's not effective. So his thing was, how big and does it work? That's the only thing he asked. And she would say, girl, that's Eddie Murphy. And I'd go look in the car and say, that is Eddie Murphy. Y'all, you going to get in the car or what? You going to get in the car? 
I ain't got all night out here. She jumped in the car, and she said, girl, I'll see you later. So that was his question. Mr. C was, I want you to, to give me a great blowjob. Mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't want. I want. I don't want. I don't want you to talk. I'm out here to get a blowjob. Mm-hmm. Every time you suck it good, I'm gonna throw a twenty your way. But I'm gonna give you your basic fee right up front, so you can end up tripling your fee if you sucked it the way he wanted you to perform or sex. Mm-hmm. And, so let me ask you know the the, the, the one time with LL was hi. What's your fee? Okay. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Get in the car. That was his approach. Wow. After a while and went to it. So, you know, they all had their approach, but I met all of them mm-hmm. on the street, mm-hmm. on 14th Street or on those back streets. They mm-hmm. pick you up and drop you back off. Not much socializing, not much hanging out, no number exchanging. It's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a week or so later, Eddie Murphy was back. Mr. C was back. I never saw LL again. I saw him one time only. But I did see mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy week after week, and then sometime he'd be away in L.A., but he'd come back, and then you see him again. And I said, that's Eddie. And he was always looking for tall, well-hung girls. And I never had that pleasure with Eddie because I'm short, very mm-hmm. short, almost as short as he is. He didn't like that. He only wanted girls that over kind of overpowered him. <laughs> Five ten, five eleven, six feet, six one, very well hung. So that was his cup of tea. And I saw him many times with my own eyes. Because mm-hmm. I would go up to the car with my girlfriend and look in. I said, girl, is that Eddie Murphy again? Girl, it sure is. <laughs> Eddie, you know me. Don't play games. Don't play games, honey. Don't play games. Mm-hmm. You know you want it. You know you want it. You know you want it. All right. I got to go, girl. He wanted it. I got to go. I got to go. And, you know, that was that was how it worked. That was how it was. Okay. They Thank all, you so they much. All had their, they all had their fetish. They all had something. Mm-hmm. They were all, you know, they, they were not there to, to talk. They were looking for whatever their sexual fetish was to get mm-hmm. that done, and off they went. So that time, Eddie was married, I believe, to Nicole. Mm-hmm. And he had having you know he was having children, and he was doing his uh, movies. It was so you know they they all had their things. All right, um, Jr. Do you have any question or comment or anything you want to say? Uh, you know me better than that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tony, first off, um, now I you know I want to commend you for everything you've been through. You've lived a life that even I couldn't even fathom, okay? Um, you know, to to have lived the life that you lived and not have gotten involved in the uh, the usuals of drug use and alcoholism and all that and be able to overcome everything that you have, that speaks volumes, Okay. Now, I, I, the question I have, uh, I, I was a Marine. I, I did some time out in Camp Lejeune, and I can only imagine what you went through out there in uh, North Carolina. Um, but when, 
when oh my god now it, there's so many different things I wanted to ask you know sit, sitting there listening to your story and I, I absolutely love it but um, the the biggest thing that I had uh, was you know when, when you decided to make that career move when you decided to uh, uh, use your writing as a form of therapy and uh you know you, you discovered that that talent within you um it, i mean did the, the, the shock really hit you like oh my god this is really going to happen you know it, was that something that just blew you away knowing where you came from knowing what you went through the the fact that you know, it, everything is starting to line up for you, even though all the odds were, in sense, in a sense, against you. I, when I was writing the book, I called Dr. Maya Angelou down in Wake Forest, and 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 uh, uh, was saying I want to use uh, some of your quotes in my book. And I want you to write the forward. I end up getting Dr. Mark Weiss from Columbia to write the forward. Uh, me and Dr. Angelou couldn't agree on on on, on terms. Okay. Um, I, I couldn't meet her terms in order to okay. use to get her to write my forward. Um, I spoke to her about writing the forward to my book. Um, um, as a Wake Forest Reynolds professor, and I was a graduate, we came at the same time to Wake Forest. Uh, and she told me, um, even though we couldn't agree on terms, and I, I spoke to her, her editors and all that, we couldn't agree on the terms uh, for that, but she did later come and do an interview to help support the book. But she told me, never forget you are a child of God, and it is your past which has strengthened your present. Never be ashamed from which you came from, because that's what lifts you up in the clouds now to be who you are really meant to be in this world. And while I was writing the story, there was a little bit of uh, 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 of like, oh, my God, I'm going to let the, the, the world know I did such and such. And I, 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 blah, blah, blah. But she let me know that the past is what gives us our, our present and our future. And, and, and that the writing, that type of stuff validated me to say, oh, my God, when we got to the final 10th chapter and got ready, it was like, oh, my God, I I had talked about this for 10 years. I told people while we were homeless and girls while we were were, were out on the street, I'm going to write about this shit. This is crazy shit. Nobody's ever going to believe this story. And they laughed at me, as so many people did when I would say I was going to write a book. People would say, girl, you crazy. It just, it, it was mind-boggling to, to actually write it and complete it. I wasn't that excited when it got published, but I was excited when it was completed and I was right. flipping through it to say, this, it's done. It had been finally edited. And Kevin Hogan from Boston U had said, "Girl, we're done. We have we have wrote a book. 
You have told it your way. I have just assisted you to tell this story. It felt amazing. All 48 legal yellow pads I had combined into a 242-page memoir, 10 chapters. It was amazing. I was more excited to finish it than to publish it. I slept with it. I read it. I would read it to my partner and to the point that I don't want to hear no more about that book. That was the most exciting part to me, to actually have done it, to have it in my hands, the manuscript. I I felt it was the best feeling I've ever felt. And to be myself writing the book. There were no more lies. I wasn't being something I wasn't. I wasn't putting a false facade. I wasn't acting like I was something else when I was something else. I was being Tony, who had did this. And it just felt amazing. It felt amazing. It felt good when it got published and I got my first little check. That felt good, too, now. But uh, it did feel good to, to, to finish it, you know. But people started buying it, and then I started getting emails, you know, I hate you, uh, not so good. I love you, so good. So, you know, it, 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 you know it, that entered a different field because then you're getting judged for being yourself and for telling your story, people are judging you and say, this right. story sucks. They're really saying, your life sucks. And I had to learn how to get over that and say, oh, my God, I wrote about my life and they hate my life. Well, not everybody's going to like what you say, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. They're not going to like uh, it. So, you know, you can't please everybody. you got to take the good with the bad. And I toughened up and went on with it. So, you know, here we are. So, yeah. You know, my, my my father always told me that uh, he always said the difference between a goal and a dream is the will of the person behind it. That's right. That is true. And is true. and I know one thing I've learned in my own life is that the truth is always ugly. You know, a, people don't really want to know the truth. No, they don't. And they, don't they like it they, when they you soften it, sweeten it. They don't want to hear it when it's just raw, basic right. truth. They don't want it. I found most people like right. it when you sugar it up, cover it with some ice right. cream, and like, oh, oh, I, they, I hear they, you. Oh, don't say they, it like they, that. They, oh, that makes they'd it sound bad. They'd rather stay in that little yeah. safety zone that they yeah. imagine is what yeah. their life should be. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I did that. Again. I did that too. I did that too. I did that too. I lived in that illusion. Uh, uh, it, you know, I didn't want to hear the truth. I didn't want to be the truth. I didn't want to do the truth. But that that leads to a very uh, unfulfilled, incomplete life. But, you cannot you achieve said, your full goal without living your truth. So you, you, know, you had said it, something in the interview that uh, really hit hit with me. And like I said, I was in the Marine Corps for six years. And uh, whenever you was talking about uh, some of your sisters that got involved in uh, drug use and all that to numb themselves up, I I have been drug-free for 17 years now. Uh, And it's how I dealt, you know, uh, with the issues from the stuff that I did during my time in the military. You know, I I had to find something that, because I, you know, I can't just go to any Joe on the street and be like, hey, I did this, I did this, I did this, you know? And they 
most people would never have a sense of comprehension on uh, the stuff that I did. So, you know, I had to find, I had to keep it in and that was driving me nuts. And, you know, I found, I, I did self therapy through dr- my drug use. And, yeah. uh, there was a hole. Know, and if there's a hole, you have to fill it with something. Right. If there's a hole, it, a gap of something, you know, my sisters had it. I had it. You feel so, after you've had sex with four men, five men in one night, uh, rolling around, and then when you feel the loneliness, there's no one there to love you. There's no one you can call to say, I need you. I need somebody. That right. that that hole has to be filled with something. Right. And if you are not careful, yeah. you will fill it with drugs, alcohol, and, 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 and anything you can find to say, damn it, I just want to feel good tonight. I want right. to feel good and, right and now. Right now, I want to feel good. I, I, I don't feel good. I haven't felt good all day. I, I just want to feel good right now. I don't care how I get there. I want to get there. And that's when the, and the you, heroin and the crack comes in. And it makes you feel good for a short while until you so well. Right. And then you feel bad again. And then you got to get high again to feel good again. Right. And, you know, and, it's a and, you know it, with, with me, it was, uh, to be perfectly frank on all this, my my story with, within the people of the show has been very open. And, you know, I, I with me, it was once uh, my first child was born, I put it all down. You know, I, I, I made sure that none of my kids would ever be around it through me, you know. And uh, it, that was my, that, that, that was my, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? My out. You know, you have, yeah, to find, I, I, you have to find a lifeline. You found a lifeline through your child. Right. To say, I can't have this around my child. Exactly. I can't let my child see this. You have to get another lifeline, or you will not succeed to fill the gap with a positive thing. Exactly. But, and you found you know, a lifeline through your child, and I found another lifeline that were not drugs and alcohol to pull me out because I felt lonely and I was depressed. I was no better than these girls. They, I was lonely too. I had no love. I had nobody to call. I had no money. But I didn't allow that hole to be filled by all that negativity of that, that point with heroin and, and crack cocaine were the drug of choice. Right. I, I just, I, I just, I couldn't do that. You know, I, I I I tried a little cocaine. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I didn't like how I was out of commission for a couple of days. And I realized I, I can't do this to myself. I can't make any money high. I can't think rationally high. This is not a right way to go if I'm trying to get out of this shit. I'm going to stay in this shit forever. It's like a cycle. You get high. You stay homeless. You get I just, you know, you got to find a lifeline. And, I'm glad you, your child was, was your lifeline, you know, and most yep. transgenders yep. have no lifeline. They have nothing, and they just sometimes have no hope. 
and that's why they turn out the way that they do with suicide uh, and drugs and alcohol. They just they just say, I have nowhere to go. I have no hope. There's no reason to go on. And, and that's the sad part. Mm-hmm. They had no lifeline. So thank God that you and I had a lifeline that we can talk about it. Absolutely. And again, I absolutely commend you on everything you've overcome. I, I, it's so rare when I find someone that you, you've been sober for many years, so you've overcome something just as difficult to say I'm drug free and clean, and uh, I fill that gap with something positive. I did not oh, dwell right. in, in that negative fear, uh, which you could have. And just been an addict year after year through your children. They could have seen it. So wonderful for you as well. Wonderful for you as well. All right. Um, <laughs> go ahead, see. I'm going to see if, Brenda, um, did you have anything that you wanted to add or say? I, I did. I had a quick question. I did. I had a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. I would first like to say thank you for definitely being on the show. Um, my experience is working with juveniles um, and um, and then also working at a drug alcohol treatment facility, I'm starting to see more and more youth who are struggling, either being bullied at school, having concerns as far as home, who um, tend to maybe be thinking that they may be gay. Um, I've had a couple um who uh, consider themselves, you know, maybe wanting to uh, be transgender, um, dealing with a lot of the bullying at school. They want to dress, um, you know, a particular way that may not be um, accepted in the school. They're struggling at home or feeling accepted and being able to talk to their family, their friends. What advice would you give or what would you tell to maybe um, parents and maybe even school officials, because I'm starting to see a trend where there's more and more younger people who are feeling these types of ways, and they're having a hard time um, establishing with it, especially in a school setting. They're either being picked on, they're being bullied, so then it leads to them fighting, being kicked out of school, not feeling like it's safe for them to go and express themselves and be themselves. That is I, I do a lot of work in South Los Angeles, Far Six in mm-hmm. Los Angeles County, one of the poorest counties. That mm-hmm. is one of the problems that some of these young people who are gay and or straight, but young, who are facing bullying, and mm-hmm. even more some of the young ones who are effeminate, maybe mm-hmm. on their way to transitioning, mm-hmm. to becoming a woman if they're a man and a, a, a man if they're a woman. Very, very hard. Uh, I find a lot of them don't get support at home mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the fact that, you know, you, you, you go into school acting like a little sissy, mm-hmm. and you wonder why these children whooping your ass. You got to mm-hmm. stop acting like you a sissy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this child, in all essence, as myself, cannot help themselves. Mm-hmm. They can butch it up as much as one can try, but the real core of the matter is that they are just what they are. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get any parental guidance, it leads for, you know, fighting, getting kicked out of school, going to group homes. And they're coming from economically disadvantaged households from the yes. beginning. 
yes. with low educational background. Yes. You know, mama's unhappy. She got three kids, and there's not one of the daddies in the house, and nobody's giving no child mm-hmm. support. And she's got one who's a sissy boy. It's just mm-hmm. very difficult. It's very, very difficult. And, I mean, I've heard her, that woman, tell me, what, what do you want me to do with this? I'm on welfare. He's out here trying to put on women's clothes. Mm-hmm. He's his ass. Walking here talking about he might be a woman. I can barely feed his, his faggot butt. And then he mm. comes on his little face mask in. And I'm telling him, if you wouldn't act like a faggot, they wouldn't beat your ass at school. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm telling him. And he's like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being myself. I don't say anything to these kids. Mm-hmm. If they leave me alone, I leave them alone. It is a it is a cycle. You know, I took one and took him over to Hollywood High, mixed school, a lot more open school. The bullying stopped. Mm-hmm. But it was a hassle trying to get him into another area, predominantly mm-hmm. white area, school. But mm-hmm. I, I felt for this child, so I fought and had my my law school dean and another lawyer. We fought. But, I mean, should we have to fight this hard for every child is getting bullied? Yep. Who maybe mm-hmm. the little, maybe he is a little sissified, a little uh, effeminate on that way to becoming or just mm-hmm. a really feminine child? Is is this the only way to, to to move them to other school systems that are pro, more open-minded than that predominantly black school that they were in? It's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, I listen to the mother who's on welfare talk about the sissy boy, and I listen to the, the young man talk to his mother. It, it was just difficult. She had no educational background, and no matter what I said, she just never got it. Mm-hmm. She, she and that's one of they're going to keep beating his mm-hmm. butt, and they're going to probably yeah. kill him, and I'm going to have to bury this, this old homo, yeah. and I'm trying to tell him. I'm trying to save his life. I said, but you're telling him to be something he's not, and he can't yeah. help himself. Yeah. It's, it's a tough call, Mama. You know, we fought for one, but there were so many we couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. who was still left in that school, and some of them just quit. They said, I'm in the 10th grade. I can't take this shit. I'm out. Yep. I'm out. Yep. I don't have time yep. for no more therapy. I go over there and see Miss Jane. Miss Jane telling me this shit. I go to school. They beat me like I am. They beat me to a fuck. Yep. I can't take it no more. I'm out. I'm leaving my house, and my mother teach me like her step. And my stepdaddy is calling me all kinds of names, mm-hmm. and she's got a new boyfriend. It's just a very rough road. Because then you're talking about poverty, no education. It's yeah. just, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. just double negative and double negative. And, and what do you do? I mean, I didn't come from that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I can only imagine coming from where you got no support as a child. Yeah, yeah. My mother knew what I was. She may never admitted it. She knew. You, as a mother, yeah. you know. You know what you got. I mean, I hear yeah. mothers say, oh, I don't know my son. I say, really? Well, he did do something in the 10th grade that made me wonder. I say, you know what you had. You know. You may not admit it. You may not want to face it. But you know what you had. My mother said, I knew back then what something was not right. She knew. Mm. Took her 10 mm. years to say it, but she said it. I said, you knew. But she said, you were my child, and I prayed that you would get out of it. 
she took a positive mm-hmm. approach and prayed about it, but still loved mm-hmm. me and supported me. A lot of these kids don't get no love, no support, yeah. and have no financial backing. Yeah. I mean, they have to fend for themselves, cook for themselves, buy their own. It's, it's a rough. And how do you help a child like that? Yeah. Mm. Unless you can take them in your own house when you can't take <laughs> yeah. all of them in your house. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say you yeah. can live with me. Say, Look, I got my own life, yeah. you little baby. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, I wish I could take all y'all in my house and be open and send 2,000 girls to schools and, mm-hmm. you know, take care of you. I don't have that type of money or that type of means. Mm-hmm to really reach out and pull you out of that situation and show you life can be so much better when you get a little support and you're allowed to be yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, why I I think, that's why I think it take, it's each one and teach one. It has it, it can't be just one person. It, we all have to do our share. And I think when we all, this person does, reaches out to this child or this person does, it, you know, and I think when we slowly start taking accountability, Everybody takes be a village. If we could, if we could have a village like Hillary Clinton said, a village where you know you mm-hmm. see a child in need and you have. But you know, in the black community, it's rough, especially in, in like South LA and these other areas. A lot of this stuff is happening in these poverty areas. Areas. You don't yeah. you don't find these black kids going to white schools. No. Facing the stuff that these black kids going to these black high schools and middle schools in the hood yep. in poor neighborhoods, they face a lot of stuff that a black mm-hmm. child, just like that child, go to a white school, they're getting Oh, you wanna do play? You wanna be you wanna do drama? Oh we're gonna have a play and make Roderick our our feature. And they yep. get to express themselves and be themselves and nobody says a thing. It's just a different environment. The environment can change and help change. a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what, how do you do that when you are reaching out and you got 20 of them sitting in front of you crying and saying, oh, my God, you know, I need help. You're like, well, let me check it out. You know, we'll get, see, can we get you to the county and da-da-da. You know, it, it's it's rough, mm-hmm. you know, because they're coming from poverty and, and, and lack of education and half of them don't even know their father and the father won't speak to them. It's just very rough. Rough. They're getting called names at home. They're mm-hmm. getting called names at school. You are sissy. You are this. What? That's just negative enforcement all the way around. Creating uh, an it's creating an addict at fifteen. Mm-hmm. Like I it need I need a shot of vodka. I can't. Yeah, this and is that's crazy. what it is. And it's I need, harder I need, I need and it's I need a drink. Yep. 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 <laughs> and that's how it starts. I'm living a crazy life. She trying to help me. I can't get no help. My mother's no help. <laughs> this man here's crazy. Uh, this man said he liked me. Supposed to be helping me, trying to fuck me. Um, mm. I, I, I need a drink, and that's where the drinking starts. And then the yep. alcohol. And then they leave yep. home. And then they are out on their own. And sometimes yep. you never get those back. So they start living that rough life at 15, they don't know nothing else. They don't know what it is to have a good home and a roof over your head and a meal every night. All they know is fighting, cussing, fighting, cussing, fighting, cussing. Mm-hmm. I've got to take care of me because nobody else. Yep. It's rough. I, I I don't have an answer for that. I, I try to help when I can, <laughs> but it can be so overwhelming it sometimes. Is, it is. It's very, very, it's and, mental. And you, feel, you go home and you say, oh, I wonder how little so-and-so <laughs> yeah. is doing. But you yeah, like, oh, I, I, I got to go to dinner. I got to go eat. 
He said, "Get in the car." You can, you, who you calling? Like, you can't be. We got we got to go. We got to go to my sister's house. Put that phone down. And you're like, "Oh my God! I hope everything is okay." Yeah. But what do you do? You, yeah. You know, unless you have a lot of money and a lot of power, it's, 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 you really you really can only do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is mentally challenging. It's very, and it when is. we set up uh, counseling, and it does, it becomes a cycle because we'll get kids, they'll come right back and just say, well, I'm safer here. I'm able to express myself here than in juvenile rather than being at home. At least I'm getting a meal. I can be myself. You know, we set up counseling. The kids want to go. The parents don't want to go because they're not feeling okay, I can't accept this, I can't accept my child being X, Y, and Z when I'm doing counseling, and then it's just a cycle that's coming right back. And now it, it's went from vodka, and now the child's doing cocaine, now the child's doing this, and it's just a cycle, and it gets but you know, harder and harder. We helped the child. I helped the child. He went right yeah. back to the hood where the mother would yeah. hit him with the ironing board, go right back, left the home, just a good yeah. little foster home, go back to the mother who beat him, she beat him to the point, put him in the hospital, almost killed him. When he went mm-hmm. back that last time, they're fighting. So it's a cycle because mm-hmm. he kept saying, I love my mother. Well, your mother doesn't support you. Six yeah. months ago by, he'll miss his mother at 14. He'll forget mm-hmm. that she starts drinking and will hit it with anything she can find. You can't be no home in my house. You know I ain't going to have mm-hmm. that shit. And then yeah. beat him half to death, but he went back. And then you yeah. say, what do you do with a child you helped? And then he go right back yeah. to the yeah. drama and to the craziness. You're like, why did you but go you back? Just, but, you know, it's like the battered woman syndrome, you know? It, it's and like, it, and it's, and it's, it? Mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, three, one, um, do you have anything to say or are you just listening or um we're speaking to um, author Tony Newman, and she is the author of I Rise, and she's really been giving us some some good, uh, just some just some just a wealth of knowledge tonight. And I just wondered if you had anything that you would like to add, or um, any questions that you had. Um, I'm going I'm going to listen for a second, then I'll tone, tune in in a, in, a, in a brief second. Okay, then. Um, Jr., do you have anything else that you want to throw in? Oh man! I, I, like I said, there, there's a whole list of uh, questions I actually started writing down. But you know, it, hopefully we get her on again, and uh, we, we we can hit on some I, of these. Somewhere. Yes, I really have enjoyed this conversation, and I'm telling you, Miss Tony, when you make it big, don't forget about us because I've really enjoyed. <laughs> This conversation. It's just I want to really... thank y'all for allowing me to be myself, and and yeah. I, I try to speak what I feel is the truth. What I say, I feel is the truth. You may disagree or agree, but it's my truth. So mm-hmm. I, I speak what I feel is the truth for Tony Newman. I can only speak for Tony, and what I feel is the truth for Tony. So I always try to speak truth of what I feel the truth is for myself. And I I feel I've done that tonight, and you've allowed me to do that, and for that I'm grateful that I can be myself and just say what I feel is the truth, whether some agree or disagree. Not everybody's going to like my truth. I I get that. But I I try to tell the truth the way that I see it. I feel it and the way I've lived it. And this is, you know, my truth, good, bad, or ugly, 
it's 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 Tony Newman's truth, and I try to give it with love, but it's truth, and it's sometimes mm-hmm. truth is hard. So what do you do? All right, well we like thank you guys. We we want to uh, definitely thank you for coming on the show once again. I want you to tell us about the name of the book and where people can pick it up and uh, what what you have uh, coming down the pipeline. Uh, I would say everyone go to TonyDNewman.com, Tony with an I, DNewman.com. You can find out more about the movie called Heart of a Woman Movie.com. It tells you who the movie is, who's directing it, who's in it. Some of the producers we have uh, are five main leads. So that's TonyDNewman.com and Heart of a Woman Movie.com. So if you check those out and support us, I would say thank you and God bless you all and have a good night. Thank all you. All right. All right. All right, guys. So we want to thank Miss Tony Newman for coming on. Um, I do want to stay on for a couple more minutes. Um, cause I got a couple more things I wanted to cover. Um, um, I want to send out my condolences to, well, not condolences, but I, I really want to send out my prayers to, um, the family of Bobby Christina. Um, it's just really, really, really sad to hear that um, this young lady is going through what she's going through right now, especially around the anniversary of her mother's death. Um, it just goes to show you that money is doesn't always equal happiness. And I just want to uh, send out my prayers and uh, thoughts to that family. Um Right now, I guess um, they're still debating on what they're going to do. Um, it says she's making some progress, but I guess they don't know if the um, amount of progress is worth her being kept alive. But what do you feel about that, Jr.? Oh man, I, I, I did this challenge face the same demons that her mama's facing? Yeah, it 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 um. You know, it, 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 it's it, it's a tough deal. It really is. You know, it. it yeah, it, it. I I I I don't know, brother. Uh, I, yeah. I, I I'm at a loss for words over it. You know. Mhm. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that in because I know we had our special guest tonight, and I didn't really have time to address that, but I just wanted to send out my thoughts to that family. Uh, truly, her mother was a a a huge icon in the entertainment world, and um, she's greatly missed. Um, but was there anything else in the media that you've seen before we probably jump off here that you that you wanted to uh, to to pretty much bring up, or uh, anything that you thought of that? Uh, would be uh, good information to the audience, or I guess I could ask you, well, what do you think? How do you feel about the interview tonight? Uh, I tell you what, I thought the interview went really well. Um, it, it went smoothly. You know, she was very entertaining, very informative. You know, I I I mean, I I ain't even gonna BS around, man. I I was dead tired by 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. <laughs> you know, and uh, she put me on a second wind. Now I'm not gonna be able to get any sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it's been yeah. a while since 
I said it was a very good exclusive interview, and you you know, and it really went. Uh, I knew it was going to go well, but it really was, uh, went in the direction, like even a better direction. I thought. I'm I'm losing you, brother. To do that. Oh, that, there we go. That I I I I lost you after you said really good interview. Yeah. But all I said is pretty much I just appreciate her being candid and speaking her truth, and that's all I ask for anybody that comes on the show. Just be fun, and honest, and speak your truth. And be be candid. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question about Bobby Christina? Mm-hmm. Are they saying what happened? See, that's what I really. That's why I need to. It's a lot of stories. Uh, someone said that you know that the, the husband came in and uh, found her. Then he went back out. They couldn't find him anymore. Then a friend was at the house. I mean, I mean, you know, my my thing with that is it, just very conflicting, and it's it, it, it's just the truth is not being told in that matter. Yeah, and see, and I guess that's why at this point they are if you look at police are investigating. Oh, okay. Because if you look at it, it's money involved. You know, if the husband is going to be the heir if, she, if something happens to her. Right. You know, he gets right. All the money. Right, and see, I think it's some foul play involved. I I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if there's some foul play involved, and that that is the very reason why, um, at this point, police are investigating. Um, right, right. So I don't know, um, but this is this is my thing, and, and I've mentioned this before. That's why money does not equate to happiness. Because mm-hmm. and that's why everybody wants to have money, have that amount of money. But you know what? Do you, do you really want to have that amount of money? And do be careful what you ask for because when you have mm-hmm. that amount of money and power and influence, you find yourself surrounded by a bunch of yes men and women, mm-hmm. people that are going to tell you what you want to hear so they can stay in the circle and continue getting those checks. Right, because we, we can look at that. We can look at that from the point of view of um, another example. Uh, Michael Jackson. You had all these people around him telling him, "Oh, you should get started. You should do this. You should do that." And then that mm-hmm. guy, that, that that doctor that he had, that kept on giving him those uh, prescription medications. Mm-hmm. He knew that that he didn't need that, but see. That's when you have money and, and, and people are going to be surround you. Nobody has your best interest in heart. And then when you look at Bobby Christina, I can't judge that child because you know what? Think about where where she's coming from. You know, you grew up, you grew up around, and let's just keep it real. And, and, and this is no shade towards Whitney because I love her to death. But you know, and, and actually, drug addiction doesn't mean that you're a bad person. But I wouldn't be surprised if she was exposed to that stuff coming up in her house. And then she loses her mama to drug addiction at a young age. It's been about three right. years since Whitney Houston died. So this girl was just, she was still a young child, just, you know, right. crossing over to being a woman. And then you you dealing with that, and then you got all this money. You don't know what to do with it. You don't have people that surround you that 
mean you well. So, wow. you know, what do you do? You, you're going to fall into that, those same footsteps. You're going to, you, you know, what you see at home, you're going to emulate. You miss your mama. Mm-hmm. Your daddy ain't no man. I'm just going to be honest with you, and this is just my opinion. You know, nothing against Bobby Brown. But I, I don't have a high opinion of him. Right. Well, you, uh, know, it, it, you know, it's his prerogative. <laughs> and I do mean he. Let me tell y'all something. I've seen that man on that interview after that um, Whitney Houston video or that movie they did on Lifetime. Honey, why does he look like Cedric? And he looked like Cedric Entertainer with a Dorn top hat on. <laughs> with that big old nose. Honey, and I'm gonna right. say that's his child. I'm gonna say Bobby Christina, his child. Honey, would you? If somebody was at my job joking, but I said it's, it's the truth. I said that is his girl. That's his child. Because if you put a wig on Bobby Brown, a long flowing weave or a wig on him, and put him on, that's Bobby <laughs> Christina right there. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, Bobby Brown's got to be the fattest crackhead I've ever seen. Let me tell you, uh, he got kids <laughs> everywhere. Well, I ain't seen it. Yeah. Oh. Maybe, maybe all them women that go on more looking for their baby daddy. Maybe they ought to call Bobby Brown in. <laughs> Woo! I oh said, man. God. I said, Lord Jesus. I said, I just feel sorry for that child, honey. She ain't got nobody that's really doing right by her. Right, right, right. It ain't no positive influence. Yeah. Have you have you guys seen that new reality show that on TLC, My Big Fat Fabulous Life? Your what? My Big Fat Fabulous Life with the with the girls mm-hmm. who wait. And well yeah, you know, I saw one episode of it last week. Yeah, and uh you know she gets off she's trying to I don't know what she's trying to do because she 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 got all these YouTube hits. She's over six hundred pounds, and you know she got all the YouTube right. hits because of her, you know, trying to dance and all that. Right. Well, she, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, she used to be uh, she she like she's got a college degree and all. She was real thin in college, and then something or another happened. She put on all this right. weight, but she used to be a dancer. You know, like mm-hmm. like an actual professional dancer has a dance studio and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And, and put on like four hundred, five hundred pounds, something like that. Yeah, oh, I, right. I, I know. Yeah, Seneca, I, if, you, I, if you get a chance to to view that, it's on TLC. And then if you, I think that'd be a good topic to talk about that too, because you know she gets hate mail sometimes, and she's she's just at a point now where. You know, she's living her life now, you know. Oh, wow. She probably be somebody I could probably reach out to. I'm telling y'all, this year we're going to have some people on the show. We're going to talk about some stuff. And that'd be probably, if I can reach her, I'll probably uh, see if I can get her on. I'm sure you can because she's on YouTube, too. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. I wish you could have been on for this whole interview tonight. It was so good. And um, you can go yeah. back and listen to it. I, I want to ask her some questions. I want to ask her um, my question. Did anybody ask a question, you know, what made her expose these people? Well, this is what she said. Well, she she said that, um, first of all, she just wanted to 
let people know about what's really going on out here. And then on top of that, like there were certain people, because this was my question, what made her expose certain people, but then she kept certain people, like protected some other people right. from being exposed? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and she said, what well, the, the answer to the question was, well, when she was on 14th Street working down there as a prostitute, where she she said they treated them like they weren't human. They they would like treat them, give them money, whatever, and then put them right back on the street. And, and it'd be like, and you know how cold it gets in New York. They didn't care about them women. But she said her clients that she had, like when she moved out on the east, on the west coast, she said they treated her like she was human. They really, they really did a lot for her, and she 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 wanted to protect them. But the other ones, she didn't care. So that's how she said that she put, well, led, like I said, you know, and I, and I understand that's her truth, but like I said, I have to protect our show and yeah. my brand legally too. So I said allegedly these things are alleged. So, um, you know, you know, she says that um, Eddie Murphy had been um, in Mr. C. They've been, they've been caught by the law several times listed in transgender, transgender prostitutes. You know, I guess she felt that, you know, these people were just out here. They didn't see these transgenders as human. They just wanted to get what they can get out of them and get a nut and, and keep it moving. So I guess that was her rationale on exposing some people and protecting others. So that that was what she that was what she um said. Okay. But it was a really good interview, I'm telling you. Um uh, like, you know, and it was a lot more in-depth stuff I wanted to ask, but I think that the interview went very smooth. Um, and I hope oh, yeah. that in the future I can get her back on. And, and she, I know she's working on some projects on um, stuff that's going to be coming out on HBO and a lot of, um, she has a lot of big names that's in a, um, that's going to be in the upcoming movie that's based off of chapter seven in her book, um, The Erotic Professional. And I'm really um, excited about seeing that uh, come to life in the future, but yeah, it's just very candid. The the interview went very well. Uh, she was very right. honest, like, and and that's and that's all I appreciate from anybody. You know, just keep it real. And, you know, it, it, and, and not not just on not well, like you said, honest and candid. But you know, and I know this is kind of like a, uh, a, it's kind of like saying the same dang thing, but. Uh, you know, she she very entertaining. I I, I uh, you know even though I, I like I, like I said I I was tired man I was ready to go to bed but I've been looking forward to this interview you know so yeah man I I, I had a great time listening to her I really did you know uh-huh. it, it, yeah it, yeah I I hope we get her back again man I really do it yeah. it, it uh it, it's like a you know, when we were discussing this prior to all this, uh, I, I said you you could make multiple shows on so many different topics just from her experiences. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, two hours was definitely not nearly enough to to get everything out. But oh my god, yeah, yeah it, it yeah mm-hmm. that, that this. This has been one of the best shows that we've done in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to doing more shows like this. Um, and you said that other show called My Big Fat Fabulous Life or something like that? 
Okay, so I might look yeah. into that. But yeah, um, then then one more thing before before we go. What about uh, uh, my six hundred pound life? How do y'all feel about them getting the surgery and you know losing all the weight? Some of them are you know getting the surgery and they're losing weight, but they're gaining it back. You know, See, that's the, I, that's I, the I, point right there. I, they're I, not they're not addressing the 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 true issue that's at hand. Right. That, that, you, yeah, and that's the thing. Got, that's why I rather lose the weight the hard way because you you're addressing the issue and you're you're putting discipline and hard work into your end result. What good is it if you I had to get bypass surgery and you ain't changing your lifestyle? I I got a friend of mine that uh, he's a personal trainer now. Uh, okay. He 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 peaked out at almost four hundred pounds. You know. And uh, it through he didn't do no lap band or gastric bypass or anything like that through diet exercise and all that it took him like three years but now he's down to one eighty five and he went became a personal trainer you know and uses his story to motivate his clients you know and uh, he he just ended up. Uh, Landing his first job a few months back, and he's been doing really, really well. Thinking about privatizing his business, you know. Mm. But uh, I, I know, hey, bro, I know for a fact he, he'd be willing to come on the show at any given time, you know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, right, right there, right there. Instead of getting something, you know. It, it, get, get someone that did it the hard way and let them tell their story and what they went through. That would make yeah. it a great show. And, and you know, I know me and you will talk off air about that because I really, you know, uh, hell, we could probably, you could probably do that as one of your shows. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think it'll be it'll be a good thing mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, I also want to mention this before we get off air because I know we're going in different directions this year. Um, I'm going to, in addition to the Urban Wire and the Urban Coalition of Freelance Wire, you know, umbrella of everything that we we're doing, I'm going to be launching um another um, entity under the umbrella of UCOFW called um, Harris Media Production and Entertainment. So I'm really trying to get get our media and production uh, uh, off of, off the ground. And I guess, you know, our radio show is going to fall under that. But um, be on the lookout. This year we're going to be doing actual, and, you know, I've been talking to some people and stuff like that, just trying to get the, um, not just, just, the, the LGBT community out there, but we're going to be doing documentaries and just interviews with different people with stories to tell. So that's going to fall under the umbrella of Harris Media Productions and Entertainment. So just be on the lookout for that in 2015. Uh, I'm really excited about it. You know, I'm really going to start just investing more into this um, whole thing this year. So I just wanted to make that announcement tonight. I didn't really have time to, um, do that, but our shows, like as far as the network, is going to fall under uh, that that umbrella. So I just wanted to announce that tonight. Um, 
And that's really, you know, um, also, you know, we're going to be covering the religious community. We're going to be doing um, interviews, uh, local artists, just different things. So that's going to fall under Harris, media productions and entertainment. So what do y'all think about that? Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, something new, a pretty good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm just really excited. Like I said, tonight I really felt it was a really positive show, and I just um, really want to start just having more guests on and just people just telling their story. Because I think that was one story tonight that we don't really hear of too many transgendered individuals. Most people don't even know anybody that's transgender. And just to hear them tell their story, that that was just really a treat tonight. And the book is right. wonderful. Like I said, um, the, if you if you get a hold of the book, it's called um, I Rise by Tony Newman. And it's just really good, like really uh, neat to see how she transformed uh not only just physically, just just as a person altogether throughout the whole book. So uh, I think it's it's a good read, and it's just not a book that just like gay people or transgender people can relate to. I think if anybody that is struggling with who they are or has had a hard life and just coming through adversities, you know, sometimes you, nobody's perfect. You may do things in life that you may not be proud of, but just getting through it and just coming out of it as a better person. Right. You know, so, yep, I I think that um, that's pretty much about it tonight. Um, we'll probably be back either next week. I uh, I know I see she has a show coming up next week, but um, Irvin Wire might be back next Monday or the Monday after because we're going to have our Black History Month uh, show. And also, I want to just touch on it from. The point, because I really want to get back on what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, because I've seen the movie Selma, and I want to talk about uh, black history is American history. And, and I want to talk about the civil rights struggle. It was a struggle that everybody took a part of. Right. And how that shaped um, this country and how it shaped it today and how um, other people can learn from that. So we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And as always, we're going to talk about, you know, what's going on in the media and stuff like that. But um, that's about it. I mean, I don't know if you guys had anything else to add, but, yeah, we're probably going to jump off here. No, I'm, I'm I'm good right now, man. All right. Well, Jay, I'm going I'm to get with you. I don't know when you're going to be free, but, yeah, we're going to get these shows together or discuss about when we're going to do a live tape or something because I know you got a lot going on right now. So, but yeah, we're we're gonna get it together. Absolutely. All right. Uh, all right, brother. Well, you have yourself a good night. All right, you too. All right. All right. Bye bye.